Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Terry Cunliffe, CEO of Covenant Living Communities and Services. The Skokie, Illinois-based senior housing and care nonprofit has 16 communities in nine states. It's no secret that staffing is currently a big challenge for operators across the entire senior living industry. And of course, Covenant is no exception. Although Cunliffe doesn't believe that staffing pressures will go away anytime soon, she does see technology as a tool to bridge the gap in the meantime. How can we use technology in the places where we can to replace positions and then we really need to be much better at re-educating and retasking our employees so that they can learn to do new things where we can't use technology. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. Now, here's my interview with Terry Cunliffe, CEO of Covenant Living Communities and Services. Terry Cunliffe, thank you so much for coming on Transform today. So, I wanted to start with uh, kind of just checking in on Covenant Living. Obviously, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, we're talking at, on the very last day of January, so this Omicron wave is still kind of with us. Uh, we're still seeing elevated case counts. So I want to ask you, you know, just sort of where are you at with your COVID efforts these days, and how is, how is Omicron affecting your operations? Well, we certainly have been impacted by the surge in cases, and mostly among our employees, Uh, We continue to remain vigilant in our cleaning protocols. We have seen some COVID-positive residents in our communities, but much less than some of the past variants, for sure. We can see the benefit of boosting and and the vaccines. We um, have been impacted a little bit in some of our dining and just following the local and state regulations, but we're still keeping activities in place. Residents are somewhat hesitant to come out, but they're um, getting out and staying in comfortable places where they're they're comfortable. You know, we've seen some impact on the supply chain. And um, obviously, I think we're all dealing with inflation. So those are kind of like the new aspects to this pandemic that we didn't see in 2020 or even early 2021. And um, we have had, as a result, had to do some small rate increases for some of our bistro food items, some of our um, nursing supplies. But And then we do see a continued impact on our skilled census, some in an assisted living, although less so because we don't have the same lockdowns as we did early on in the pandemic. So uh, I, I've heard from just talking with operators over the past couple of months that tours, inquiries, move-ins, that they slow down a little bit with the holidays, which I, you know, I think we all kind of expect that given seasonality and how that typically goes. But I've talked with operators in the past couple of weeks, uh, and again, here we are at the end of January, that things have sort of picked back up this month. I've talked with some operators who say leads are back up, inquiries are back up, you know, we're seeing move-ins start to move back up. Are you seeing similar trends at, at Covenants Communities? And I guess, you know, uh, just tell me more about the demand that you're seeing in, in the markets where you are. So in residential living, we definitely are seeing an uptick in leads. We're seeing, we didn't really see a big change in our move-ins over the pandemic, maybe a little bit slower. It was more on the lead side. And then, of course, sales just looked at alternative ways to keep 
prospective residents engaged. And I think that really helped. They, we are a little bit behind in our uh, move-in projections for this year, but not dramatic. And because people are continuing to express interest, we feel confident that we'll see that uptick in our second and third quarters. You know, in terms of healthcare, we definitely are still seeing the impact in healthcare occupancy. But yet again, we are we are seeing an uptick in our moves to assisted living, just um, still pretty low in skilled nursing. I'm sure pretty consistent with what the rest of the industry is feeling. You know, I will just say that I think people do see the benefit of living in one of our communities or in any senior living community, because I think more than ever in since the pandemic, people are starting to see the value of living in community, the conveniences of having services easily available. And obviously the housing market still has remained strong as opposed to what we went through in 2008. So that is definitely, I think, worked in all of our favors. Yes, absolutely. So staffing, obviously the big challenge right now, and I I think this is a topic that I've talked with basically every operator that I speak with these days. We're talking a lot about staffing. So I'm curious at Covenant, what pressures are you seeing on the staffing side? You know, just as by way of example, I've sort of heard anecdotally that they're on the very extreme side, there are operators who can't meet the demand that they're seeing because of the staffing pressures. I don't, I'm assuming that's not what you're seeing, but Tell us more about what pressures you're seeing on the labor side. Well, I will start out that if Covenant Living was the only organization struggling with staffing, I would be a lot more concerned, right? The fact is, is that every industry, not even just senior living, is struggling with this workforce challenge that we're faced with. So yeah, we are impacted. You know, we're in Nine states, all four time zones, and some of our areas are more impacted than others. And so I would say that we see our highest turnover in healthcare, skilled nursing. I think a lot of that is just burnout. And then the complexities of of people having to manage your personal life and your work life. And so I do think we see that turnover there. And then we see it in dining. And that's a lot of our younger people who. I'm not sure, but may not want to be in a healthcare environment right now, may be uncomfortable with the uncertainty of having COVID in our buildings. So, I mean, even though it's not as prevalent, it, it still is within the, around the staff. So we are, uh, there have been some times when we've had to hold back on admissions and skilled nursing just to make sure that we can meet the quality of the residents, but it's usually a day or two. It's not a long term. We haven't had to close units or anything like that. And I'm really thankful for that. You know, I think that what we see is just the challenge of filling our application pipeline where we don't see nearly the same number of applications coming in. And therefore, and that's really where we've seen the biggest decline, where at least before we were seeing the applications, we had people um, that we could pull from those. I think, you know, the other pressure is just on the salaries. I mean, every single business in the country just about has had to do modifications to base wages, and then that puts pressure on everybody else. And 
So, you know, we've definitely looked at some of our base wages in some of the areas of the country and some of the different positions. Um, Labor expenses have been higher, mostly due to overtime to fill some of those open positions by our staff. But, you know, the, uh, the downside of that is that it's contributing to the burnout in our staff, too, because they just don't get the break away from work that they really need to refresh And then I think, you know, in the past, agency staff was more available. It's less available. Pricing is higher. And while we've never been an organization that depended highly on agency, was always kind of a safety net to fall back on. And that one has gone right now as well, too. They're facing the same things we are. So, you know, I would say that staffing is the everyday topic where in 2020, COVID was the everyday topic. So, we're just changing our everyday topics right now. <laughs> I'm curious, do you have any thoughts about what is working particularly well? Have you seen a strategy that has, I mean, obviously it sounds like you you still have your fair share of challenges, but is there anything that you're doing that seems to be moving the needle more than other strategies? You know, I would say that, I mean, obviously we're just looking at some creative ways to address the wages, benefits. You know, some of it you can't solve overnight. And I think as we look at how do we address wages, how do we address benefits, what is that employee looking for today that's different than a year ago, two years ago, because there's been a dramatic change, I think, in that. You know, we just, um, we have engaged our digital strategy team, which is an in-house digital strategy where they were highly involved on the sales and marketing side for prospective residents. We have just moved all of that marketing strategy to digital strategy. So, you know, I really believe in this new world of accessing employees that we need to find a way to go to them versus them waiting to come to us or us waiting for them to come to us. So I think that's really a big change. We just held a national day of hire uh, last week, as a matter of fact. And that took place in every one of our communities around the country. And it allowed us to bring potential applicants into our community, do a high-level screen and interview, and provide on-the-spot offers to fill positions. And we are able to make several, about over 120 offers around the country. And in fact, we, in one of our communities, we filled every single open CNA position. So I think that that has been really, that's been helpful. That is our third one. And it was by far the most productive of all of them. I do wonder if people are starting to come back into uh, the workforce. It's, It's hard to tell quite yet. I also think that one of our communities is offering um, free CNA training programs. And so they have graduated three classes so far. And we put those those um, staff members through the CNA training. And then with a pledge, obviously you can't hold, it, it's still our responsibility to be an appealing employer, but a pledge to work for one year after they graduate. So I think that's, you know, we're having to be more creative and look at some of those areas. You know, there isn't a magic bullet. It is going to, and I keep telling our board this, we need to look at this from a lot of different angles 
way different than we have before because it's not just a money issue. It's not just um, being a good employer issue. It is a just a lot of different tactics that we're going to have to put in place to make this, to get ourselves through it. Yeah. You had mentioned that you're hopeful that things are perhaps improving a little bit. Some of these pressures are maybe getting a little bit better. People are applying more. I want to ask you about the future. How long do you think these staffing challenges might last? I guess, what are you preparing for? And I guess, what does this mean for the industry in the long run? You mentioned earlier the need to raise rates to meet you know, the rising cost of, of doing business. So yeah, what, is, what does all this mean for the industry? So I don't think this workforce challenge is going to end anytime soon. In fact, I always, I really look at it as maybe a two or three year issue because I think we've just got a, a lot of things as a, maybe as a whole country to work through. But, you know, the pandemic needs to run its course. And obviously it feels like this is it, this is it. And we hope this is it, but it, it may not be. I do think that, so as a result, because it's going to last maybe longer than what we have ever seen, um, staffing challenges in the past, that we really need to start looking at how can we integrate techno- more technology into our operation. And in fact, in one of our communities, we are using a robot that is serving tables. So it's kind of the expediter from the kitchen to the table brings the plates out, the residents take the plates and put them on the table themselves. They think it's kind of cute. It seems to be working, but it's not filling a position. It is supplementing kind of a broader task. And so I think we do need to look at ways of how can we use technology in the places where we can to replace positions and then we really need to be much better at re-educating and retasking our employees so that they can learn to do new things where we can't use technology. I do think that integrated systems, we're looking at that a lot more so that we are more efficient and we reduce the duplicity of the things that we do more than once. We really need to kind of get to that one point of entry instead of multiple points, and that will make it more efficient for our staff. And I think that's what our staff are looking for, is simplifying their work so they're not doing the same thing two and three times in which they might be today. And that was really interesting because I read a lot, and I was reading an article about this great resignation Mm -hmm. morphing into more of a great sabbatical that the pandemic is forcing people to really start think about what's important to them. Life looks a little bit different. How do they want to take care of themselves differently than they have in the past? And so I think people are stepping away, doing kind of a a reset of their values, and then um, hopefully come back into the workforce. And so I thought that was just a really interesting concept of kind of this great resignation becoming more of a great sabbatical and um, and people rethinking what's important and where they want to spend their work life. But it will continue to put pressure on our industry and every other industry, I think, for a while. You know, Terry, that's a 
a great segue into something else I wanted to ask. I know that you have made it a long-term goal to optimize efficiencies at Covenant. Candidly, I wonder if you can measure, you know, you mentioned the robot, uh, the busing table robot. Candidly, I'm, I'm curious if you can actually measure that in your operation. So I'm curious if you can, but also just tell me more about, you know, how you are building efficiencies into your operations and what's challenging about that and, and what you can do to affect it. So let's talk about the robot for a minute. It is a pilot. So we're just learning about what it can do. And I think one of the things that we can't afford just to do cool things now, right now, right now, because the big, big focus is investing in our employees, right? And I think many of our colleagues are doing the same. So one of the things that we're looking at is, can it in fact replace a position as an expediter? so that your um, dining team might be taking orders, getting them into the kitchen, and then can the robot be that employee, so to speak, that brings the meal from the kitchen to the table? We've not seen that yet. It still needs more work and and um, customizing how it's programmed. And, and maybe this isn't the perfect robot. Maybe there's something a little more sophisticated that we'll have to go to. So I think, you know, yes, we are looking at what's the return on investment from my perspective, at least my simple mind right this very minute, is that if it can't replace a position, then it might not be the right answer. And um, so that we can use those kinds of tools, that would be an efficiency. So I think it's still too early on to know whether it is the right one. We are going to look at a second pilot area, I think a little, maybe a little bit closer to our office. But I think we do have to do the due diligence on trying some different things, just not go all out every community, um, multiple robots. So we'll continue to pressure test that, you know, but we do make optimization uh, a big part of our organization, looking at making sure that we bring in the revenue that we're due. And so things like managing your accounts receivable, managing bad debt, making sure that your third-party revenue is that we're doing all the right things to collect it. You know, we do centralize a lot of our functions. We are in the process now of looking at centralizing recruiting, looking at the marketing of our open positions in a centralized way instead of it being deployed through all of our different communities. Several years ago, we centralized third-party billing, which has dramatically improved not just the timing that we're, we're paid, but just the amount of bad debt as a result or technical denials. We centralized finance, which allows us to just get our financials um, done more timely our digital strategies, marketing. So we're looking at what are those things that we can centralize so we can be more efficient. I think one of the ways we need to look at our central office is how can the central office support the communities and running the business so that the communities can really focus on the resident and employee experience. I cannot impact that. But if we can help them to run the technical part of their business, it should relieve some of that pressure of having to do both. And 
that's how I look at optimization is how can we be more efficient doing it at a, at a less cost or at an equal cost, but then relieving some of that pressure from our community leaders. I think the hardest part about optimization period is that any change is change. And, um, you know, changing what we do or how people have done things is always hard. Even when they get to do something cooler um, with their time, it's still, but I've always done this. And that is always a hard change for people to accept. We are always looking at our tactics. We update our tactics on on an annual basis to make sure that what we have tackled or what has become part of our day-to-day that we're shifting and looking at new things all the time. We talked a little bit earlier about rate growth. And I think it's no secret if you're in this industry, 2022 was a big year for senior living rate growth. You know, operators across the board told me they were pretty much raising their rates. Uh, I think some, you know, told me they, they went as high as 10% uh, last year. Uh, and of course, there's there's the challenge of balancing uh, the need to raise rates with the need not to give residents uh, and their families whiplash. So obviously, Covenant is a nonprofit. You're more mission driven. What's your philosophy on rate growth? You mentioned you know you need to to increase rates a little bit to offset some of these higher expenses. But do you feel like you have as much leeway as the for profits to make up budget gaps by increasing your resident rates just because the the mission is more a part of what you do? You know, we're not restricted by the amount that we can increase resident rates, but I think we hold ourselves accountable to seek a variety of ways to meet those expenses, and they definitely are increasing. Our rate increase this last year and for the past several years, we've been able to hold it at 3%. And, you know, that was one of our strategies and how we looked at optimization is that you know, there's waste in every single organization and it's just a commitment to identify that waste, address it, and then continue to reinvest it in your people programs, physical plant, whatever it may be. So we do look at our operational efficiencies to make sure operations that we're spending money on the right things at the right time before we look at resident rate increases. I don't... I will say I don't think that it will be possible to hold it at the 3%. And, you know, amazingly enough, because we've been so consistent and so transparent about that philosophy and that commitment, and our residents have 100% appreciated it, our residents now are asking, can you really hold our rate increases at 3%? which quite honestly, Tim, is almost a gift because our residents are engaged. They understand our financials. We're extremely transparent in in our relationships with residents. They're part of our board. So they hear the challenges with um, inflation and the importance of investing in our employees. So I expect we'll see a, a little bit higher resident rate increase in our next fiscal year. But simultaneous to that, we're constantly looking at those potential optimizations. Very interesting. I want to talk to you about about growth. Covenant has been growing by acquiring CCRCs, just by way of background. Last year, you announced the acquisition of Hillside Village. 
That was a CCRC that had faced some financial challenges and I think had filed for bankruptcy last August. So I'm curious, what made that particular community attractive, you know, given those challenges? And when you acquire a community like this, what do you typically do to turn it around if it needs some work? So Hillside Village was an interesting one in that it came right on the heels almost even before we closed on Three Crowns Park here in Evanston, Illinois, and those two were really, really close together. What was interesting about Keene, New Hampshire is that the location's just good. It's a good covenant area. It is located to a place where covenant people live, and you know it's far enough away from our Cromwell community that it attracts a different group of people, so they're not competitors, and we, all, we do look at that of either complementing each other because of their location, like our um, Tulsa communities, or that they are far enough apart that they don't work against each other. The other thing is that that community, unfortunately, opened up in late 2019. They had no idea that the pandemic was um, on the horizon, and they were literally a victim of the pandemic. And I have said to them more than once, I don't think if the pandemic would have hit, they would have found themselves in the same um, situation. But, you know, we're, we're really excited to bring um, Hillside Village and, and it will soon be um, known as Covenant Living of Keene. So we're excited about that, looking to close hopefully in February. It's a, it's a really, really good community. It's fully built out. It's two years old. And that was, that was attractive to us as well. You know, when we look at a new community or we bring them in as an acquisition, regardless of whether it's an acquisition or an affiliation, there's really two focuses, occupancy and financial management. Those are the two things that we look at very first. You have to increase your revenue. And so we put in those occupancy strategies and you have to understand your expenses. And generally, those are the two levers that are the quickest to move and where we put the most effort. And then we start to work through the rest of the systems. You know, we'll focus on marketing, we'll get healthcare options up and running. Financial shared services has been really, really um, helpful in stabilizing that financial profile more quickly. And then just bringing some of our centralized systems like sales marketing and um, the activities that go along with that. But I, I will tell you, I did not expect we would grow in the period of a pandemic. And yet that is, that's, I guess, when we came alive. I have heard other operators say this too. It's very interesting. So we, uh, Terry, we have about five or 10 minutes left. I want to try to get to a few more topics uh, uh, just because I, I love you sharing all this information. So we're, we're on the topic of growth. Look ahead. Tell me about, about Covenant's overall growth strategy. You know, you mentioned the, you know, the surprising growth during this pandemic. How, how are you looking to grow in the future? And, and I guess, you know, to tack onto that, Given your surprise, ha- have you uh, have you been a little bit more ambitious with your growth plan simply because you found you can? Well, I think that two things. We really need to make sure that we don't overextend ourselves on external growth and then not continue to invest in our existing communities. So, you know, we do look at growth and the investment we make very, very carefully to make sure that we can do both and and not 
not hurt ourselves um, long-term financially. We're continuing to look at new opportunities. Mission compatibility is, is really important to us, making sure that it fits who we are as an organization. Our board and management, we're still really interested in that economic diversity that is spelled out in our strategic plan so that we can meet a broader um, group of seniors who want to live in community and not just the entrance fee um, model. But again, you know what? We're very careful just to make sure that we don't overextend one way or the other too much. So I want to get your take on the future. Before we do that, I want to get your take on a trend that is going on. This is actually something that you and I had talked about, I think in 2018. So Covenant had changed its name in 2018 to drop the word retirement. And that was sort of following a general industry trend of operators dropping words like retirement and senior from their names. I'm now seeing some companies, and I don't want to pick on anyone, but Erickson Senior Living, they added the word senior back into their name. Uh, well, I, I, into their name. I don't know if it was in before, but they are now Erickson Senior Living. So I think this is interesting, you know, the trends of, of whether or not we include words like senior and retirement in brands. W- what is your th- philosophy on branding in the age of covid and I guess how, you know, how do you feel nowadays about companies using words like retirement and senior? Do you think that this does have a place in branding or, or, or do you still think that maybe those words are, are best left out of your brand? So I think from our name change perspective, we mo- remove the, the word retirement from a kind of an optics perspective. Living does really reflect a, a little bit more about how our residents see their experience uh, living in our communities. But the other side of that, Tim, was we have um, more than just retirement services. We have Covenant Care at Home, which are home health hospice and and, um, home care. We've got Open Strategy Group, which deploys digital strategies to the external market. So I think as we looked at some of our the diversification of our portfolio, not everything we had as an organization was retirement. And um, so that was the other kind of the other um, perspective of making sure that we didn't lock ourselves into just senior living kind of services. However, if you were to look at our website, when we describe our senior living communities, they still have the word senior, you still see the word retirement. So you know what, we're proud of the fact of the people we serve and I think it's important for us to describe what we do. And um, so neither the word senior or retirement are bad words. I think for us, it really was more reflective of kind of the diversified portfolio of our organization at this point. That makes sense. And, and, and you know, of course, what's, what else is in my mind is, is, of course, the ongoing discussion we've had now for a few years about what to call older adults who live in, in senior mm-hmm. living communities. Are they seniors? Are they elders? Are they, you know... As another another term, so it's all very interesting to me. All right, we have we have just a little bit more time here, so I, I want to get your your executive forecast. It's twenty twenty two. We have a new year, of uh, a full full year ahead of us. What do you see on the horizon? Um, you know, I guess uh, what are you excited about, and what is still on your worry list, so to speak? <laughs> yeah. So you know, I would say that just what do I see on the horizon? You know, it's it, it's kind of interesting. I'm I'm really thankful that. Well, I I think that the staffing crisis will continue. I'm thankful that the housing market has 
continue to be strong because I think that is the one piece that has propped up all of us along the way, at least the CCRCs, and it has helped to offset the decline in the skilled nursing and assisted living. You know, I think that we need to, our people have become our main event where maybe our residents in the past have been our main event. And I think employees now will be our main event for quite a long time. I think as an organization, as senior living, we are looking at how we operate. We have to look at everything we do. How do we build in flexibility? How do we build in what is the employee's expectation of their workplace? Because it's very different today than it was two or three years ago. I think that consumer preferences are definitely changing in terms of where they want to live, how they want to live. And so I I think that we'll be looking at that um, more in terms of just what are the services and programs within our communities that match. Um, What does healthcare look like? Skilled nursing and assisted living it's it's going to be a, a medical model, but boy, it it has to look a lot different and feel a lot different to the consumer in the in the future. I think you know pacing our growth that's a challenge is taking advantage of the opportunities, but finding the right pace because it's stretching our team, but you don't want to move so quickly that you're burning them out. And I think sometimes um, that is a very delicate balance. And then I do think that this return on investment, we're going to have to be very good at that because we will be trying a lot of new things in the future. And we've got to be able to figure out what is what is making it and what isn't. And it's going to be different for every single organization just by the nature of who we are. And we're going to have to get really good at saying yes and then saying no. And I think a lot of times we say yes, but then we don't reverse that decision when it doesn't pan out um, to operate. We're not going to be able to really, we're not going to be we're really going to be able to waste um, money, I think, at least in these near years. And, um, you know, I just think one of the things for me is making sure that the team around me is that we're taking advantage of the good times, we're planning for the tough times, that we're building our team, one that um, can be trusted, because I need them, I need to trust that they see what I don't see, and that they need to trust the path that I see, but they don't, and that we're all willing to push back, or they're willing to push back when they think I'm wrong. And I think that's probably... This is not um, a CEO-driven organization. It is a team-driven organization. And I think that's going to be a really big change because not one of us is going to be able to see everything, but hopefully many of us can see most of it coming at us. I share your viewpoint. Diversity of perspectives is, is only a good thing, I think. So, well... Terry Cunliffe, I I know we could talk a lot more, but uh, unfortunately, this is all the time we have for today. So thank you so much for coming on Transform. Uh, This was a great discussion. I, I really appreciated having you on. Yeah, thanks a lot. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. You can visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.